Hello and welcome to another special edition of the Two Black Two Nerdy podcast. I'm your host Chris, and I'm your host Chris. And um, today we have another special podcast for you guys. Um, this was a uh, Chris's idea based on you know kind of some of the current events we're having right now in the country. So. Chris, I guess you can go ahead and uh, get us started. I don't know if you want to introduce everybody and then, you know, kind of move from there. Yeah, so uh, this podcast is going to talk about the um, Black experience at being uh, being in a predominantly white institution, whether that's a school or a work environment, or just growing up uh, as a kid around a bunch of white people and how that shapes uh, your life experience. So I've brought friends from different stages of my life um, that have gone, have different experiences in predominantly white institutions. Um, I have Charles Hayden, Terrell Couch, and Hattie McKinney. So you all can introduce yourselves. I'll go down the line that I see on my screen. So Charles, you can go first. Uh, hi, I'm Charles Hayden, uh, or rather, I guess, attorney Charles Hayden now, officially. Um, I really don't know like too much further what to say beyond that, but uh, I grew up as an athlete. Um, my first experiences, uh, I pretty much went to predominantly white schools, um, and I can talk about it from like an athletic standpoint. So yeah, that's me. Hey. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Hattie. I know Chris from school uh, where we went to a predominantly white middle and high school uh now i am studying i guess the law and uh right hoping to figure out ways to support uh black liberation and really just helping our people advance and yeah native detroiter i didn't say that already and last but not least terrell Hey y'all, um, my name's Terrell. I'm, I know Chris from Grand Valley State University, but very similar to Charles, grew up in predominantly white schooling all of my life. Um, now I am a fraternity and sorority life coordinator at Boise State University out in Idaho. Um, and similar to everything that y'all have mentioned, just doing the work the best I can in the space that I have of being a support system for individuals, being able to educate individuals, um, and just thankful to be a part of this conversation. All right, so um, we have all um, obviously been in this country and seen how things have developed over our you know adult lives since you know we've been in college. Um, but as a kid growing up. Um, being in predominantly white spaces, whether that would be at a camp, in school, uh, church, other religious denominations, et cetera. How uh, was being around a predominantly group of white people affect how your parents taught you how to act, or did you have to police yourself and how you acted? Chris, you got to do volunteer victim. Okay, like, I, can, right, well, I can start us off. Yeah, go ahead, Terrell. Um, so for me, I still to this day remember, and my father loves to bring it up, um, coming home after going to a Catholic school and looking my 
father and my grandmother in the in their eyes and going like am i black not realizing that that was a question that anyone ever asked not realizing that that was a space i even had to think about but coming from a space where i was around a lot of white folk i don't remember what triggered it but someone was like yeah you're different um and that kind of set the stage for how I had the conversation of you're going to do two times the work and always seen as half as important, or you can't make any mistakes because that's going to be a knock to you. And always that pressure to show up and be the top of the class or just make sure I put my head down and did what I needed to do. Um, But even beyond that, it introduced to me the colorism argument. Um, and a conversation of what it meant to be lighter than some of my counterparts and how that fit into my experience and where I was going to go. And in everything that I experienced from that started setting the stage of not only do you have to be twice as better, but you're going to be the one that they look at and you're going to be the one that has to show up. I can piggyback off of that. Um, So Chris, as you know, I guess just to preface, because I didn't say this in my intro, um, I've known Chris since the fourth grade. He's my longest friend. Um, So like you and I have had like some of the same interactions because although we may not have always went to the same school, we like kind of in a sense, like always followed each other. Like when one left, the other left, if that makes sense. But um, so for me, I remember my first experience was sixth grade. And um, I went from predominantly black school to a predominantly white school. <laughs> and um, like, I, I believe I was the first one, actually I know for sure I was the first one in my family like to make that type of jump. So like a lot of things were self-taught and um, you, you start noticing differences as Terrell said, like you notice like you will always be, you stand out, <laughs> you know, cause there's very few um, in my sixth grade class three of us you know um and uh i believe like halfway down the line my dad and i had a conversation because i I didn't understand why like i would get like not necessarily like picked on like made fun of or anything like that but like they i would be picked out of a crowd to answer a lot of questions and stuff like that or like to in a sense like prove myself and my dad like sat me down and was like look like no matter what you are like i'm sorry to tell you this but you always have to be two times better and be on your best behavior, you can't slip up. Like you have to be as close to perfect as possible. And even if you are perfect, do not be upset if you fall short, right? Because it's not you. It's just a matter of how the system is built. It's not built for you. And like when you're young and you hear that, like you kind of don't understand it until <laughs> you start witnessing it, you know? So, um, a lot of the things I went through were more self-taught, but I was also very open with my parents. So there were a lot of hard conversations that came along with it. But again, as you're going through it on a daily basis, you're already accepting it. You already know it's just a matter of it being justified by someone you look up to, you know? Yeah, I'll jump in. And uh, I think my first run-in with race and my identity was in the first grade where we were like learning about slavery and I remember coming home my mom mom also loves to tell the story 
she's like, yeah, you were crying and you were like, mom, they said our, our people were like enslaved and like they were chains and right. Like people beat them and, uh, and that I was just so distraught and in denial about it. Right. And that like, I couldn't fathom that people would, I mean, own other people, but it's just worse than own, right? Like, they were three-fifths of a person. Um, And, like, at that point, she had a talk with me about our place in the world and uh, Black culture and kind of, like, the evolution of everything. And it didn't make much sense at that stage, right? It was just, what, six? Um... But it definitely sparked a lot of conversations that would continue on from there on out. Um, And I uh, agree with uh, Charles and and that it was a balance in which I did learn some things from my uh, parents and family, but also there were things that I just had to navigate and kind of learn on my own when they weren't present at like school, when a teacher would say something and look at me as a black student to kind of speak or give my perspective for everybody and like right like as a kid in class you're just like what um that's not why I'm here um or even amongst my like peers and so uh yeah definitely a balance between self-taught uh and like conversations even with some of my other black peers at PWIs um and really leaning on family to kind of help guide me and navigate certain challenges that we face. Chris, I can, uh, I can go ahead and go. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so for me, I was in mostly black schools. Um, I grew up in I grew up in Southfield, which is like a Detroit suburb. I went to mostly black, black schools throughout, like you know, K through twelve. I didn't really and and well, when I during K through twelve, I mean, we definitely like in my schools we were definitely taught about slavery. I mean, they had us watch Roots in like the third grade, you know. And my family was always very like big in the black history, so I definitely had that you know throughout my life but i went to college at a pwi i went to ohio state and that is when i really had to start dealing with like racism in a way that i just hadn't really i hadn't really experienced before and that's really when like you know you know, sometimes like for me, like when I was growing up and, you know, my parents would tell me things, they'd be like, well, you have to do X, Y, and Z to succeed. You know, the system is racist, X, Y, Z. And you're like, okay, yeah, mom, I understand. But when I went to college is when I was really like, oh, no, mom and dad, they're right the whole time. You know, some of the things that we can go into this later, but some of the things that were said to me, some of the ways I was treated, it was like nothing that I had experienced before. And honestly, after finishing my undergrad, I had, I totally, it, I, I, I will say I definitely had like my like political awakening when I was in college. I mean, so much happened to me when I was in school, they totally shifted the person I was before I went in. Yeah, I think a lot of 
what we all experience, granted at different times, uh, all stem from the same place. And I know uh, Terrell and Charles said this, like you have to be twice as good. Um, I remember that uh, my parents watched Scandal and there was an episode where um, Olivia Pope's father says, you have to be twice as good to get half of what they have. And I didn't watch the show. I sort of stayed away from it, but my parents forced me to come downstairs and they're like, you're going to watch this clip. Cause they're like, haven't we been saying this to you since, you know, you were like little, um, because being a black kid in a predominantly white institution, you're going to stand out because as, um, this one black parent said at my, uh, school in Georgia, you're conspicuous by your color and having to always be cognizant of that even from a young age is you know it's it's mentally draining and mentally toughening at the same time in a way that you know kids shouldn't have to deal with and um chris as you were talking about you didn't really have to um deal with that until college i think at different parts of our lives we that someone will see outside of tv or maybe like one of three um for me i had that at cranbrook when i got there in seventh grade and i also had that in college at grand valley meeting people from like northern michigan who only had you know one of five black kids in their entire school district so how has being the quote-unquote black ambassador if you've experienced this how has that affected you all i'll let you guys think about that for a minute but um i know at least at cranbrook most of what those kids had seen was on tv and i came in seventh grade so they had and the middle schools were split boys and girls so the boys had seen you know one or two other black kids that it came in sixth grade um so they're um definition of what a black person was was based off of those one or two kids and what they seen on tv and so then when i came in and i'm not you know acting the same way those kids acted or i have different interests or whatever you're like well you're not black you're white or you don't talk black you talk white and you know as a kid you're just like i, I i'm black so what i do is black right or do I talk white or is, you know, you have this whole sort of whole um, conscious uh, or this self-consciousness about what am I doing? Am I not actually being a black person? So I'll, I'll hop in on that. Um, so uh, when I first transferred into uh, the school, I guess, I guess, can you transfer sixth grade? Whatever, let's say transfer. Um, like I kinda like fit part of the stereotype, you know, tall, black, play sports, good at sports, coordinated, etc. So like to an extent like I fit it, but I also like grew up in a um in a Christian home. So like in the sixth grade, like I wasn't rap music, um, unless it was Christian rap. And so, like, my friends, or at the, yeah, like, a lot 
from like when I got close to them, they would ask me questions like, so like, do you listen to Jay-Z? Do you listen to Lil Wayne? And like, at the time, like I really hadn't. So like, no. And then like, wait, I would get like these really weird looks. Like, what do you mean? Like, like I was supposed to, and I kind of felt bad for a minute. Like, what do you mean? Like I'm supposed to like listen to this, this music or whatever. And so, um, like it, it was uncomfortable at times. Um, also because of the fact that I did play sports, like I was a little bit more like on the popular end. So I would get asked random questions like, here's my favorite one. And I think this is like probably a good majority of people's like introductions into like um, uh, racism without it, like without even realizing like it's racism, but like, can I touch your hair? Like, how is your hair like that? Or like, why is it so curly? Is it nappy? What does nappy mean? And like, it's kind of offensive at first because you're like, what? Like, it's hair, you know? I'm not walking up to you and just touching your hair or rubbing my hand through your hair. Like, why is your hair the way it is? Um, and so like, that was very, very weird. Um, uh, again, like I, I was in the system for like since sixth grade. So eventually like, I got, got used to like, certain questions and realized that it was more so just ignorance. But like, I don't speak for all black people, you know, and I had to like constantly reiterate that to people like, hey, like I am my own person, I'm an individual. Like what offends me may not offend the next person or like my hair is this way because that's how I like my hair. Not every black person's hair is going to be like this or not every black person has braids, you know, not every black person plays sports, you know, like they like books, they like comic books, like we're really no different than you, like, so uh, being an ambassador, like, I will say it taught me a great deal of patience <laughs> because you couldn't just pop off when you wanted to pop off. You had to pretty much eat whatever it was you were feeling because of ignorance. And I mean, it's kind of sad to say that, but that's realistically like been my whole school thing. So probably about law school realistically. Yeah. Go for it, Hattie. Are you sure? Thank you. I, um, wow, when you said the hair thing, I feel you on that one. Um, right, because I think that was one of the moments that like have always uh, stuck with me from my time at uh, a predominantly white middle and high school was like, I remember one day, my hair, which was like shoulder length, naturally, I like had gotten braids. And then somebody was like, oh, did your hair grow overnight? Like, did it stretch? And I was like, oh, um, right. It's just like moments where uh, I, I had to become an educator on like my culture and um, just things about black people. And for a minute, I didn't realize that that was a role that they were putting me in, um, which is definitely an unfair position for a child uh, at any stage. Um, and like, that's a whole nother conversation, but it took me a minute to kind of grapple with how that made me feel within like the larger context of like our student body. Right. Because, you know, there'd be girls like, Oh, and like, you know, can I touch it today? And, um, like, does it hurt? And like, how long? And just like all these other things. And even some um, 
teachers, right, would join in on those questions. And I think that is really when I got messed up. Like that really upset me because uh, similar to Charles, like I could chalk up my like peers' inquiries to just ignorance or like not really knowing, not having, I don't know, those experiences. Like, okay, cool, I get it. Uh, but when it came to teachers, it was it was more insensitive um, and right, like went down this road of like racism uh, on top of some of the some of the ways in which they would right, like kind of probe around and ask questions indirectly, right? Like now that we're older, we kind of know how to do it. But when they ask you things to gather information, but don't ask you explicitly because it's right inappropriate or just uncalled for um and so yeah like those were really big uh experiences but I think also a part of being or a part of my experience is like becoming this black ambassador ish role um was also learning a bit more about like their cultures and how things operated from their perspectives so although I grew up listening to Tupac and um you know, like I could quote like, I don't know, Friday and like right verbatim. I also took a step back and like, um, I don't know, started like wearing Birkenstocks and uh, right. <laughs> and listening to Panic of the Disco. <laughs> and, yeah. And so uh, it was it was interesting to be able to kind of challenge those norms, too, and be like, ah, 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 not all black kids right like wear a wrap or hoop or whatever the case may be like we can also play instruments and do ballet and you know read et cetera, et cetera, dense literature like you know like they're really pushing back on those things like oh like what do you want to do do you want to like i don't know um go listen to like this lyric or like twerk well i don't know before twerk was a thing right it's like mm, no i'd rather read harry potter and like sip my tea um and i i would also point out that like being a black ambassador from detroit was a whole nother thing uh commuting to like this suburban institution because at the time detroit was like a big food desert and you know there were questions about okay well like food insecurity and like uh oh and then having to read through the statistics on what food insecurity does for um, the people in those communities, i.e. in my case, black people, um, and how, right, like uh, the health disparities and uh, if you're not properly nourished, like uh, different uh, mental and health wellness challenges that can arise and things like that. And definitely feeling like I had to defend and fight for my city in the way that it was being framed. And not and making sure that I didn't let anyone take that from me, like the I think that was definitely a time when like my black ambassador cap was on, um, in the classrooms when we discussed Detroit and when people even said like offhand comments about like, oh I'm going to like a Tigers game in our company suite, but I just hope I don't get shot. And it was like okay hold on pause, like we're not about to continue to drive these narratives. Or even like, oh, like you like have you ever seen anyone get shot? Mm, actually, no. And like, right? Let me explain to you. There's crime everywhere, and let's break down how this works. Uh, but with that, I'm gonna 
pass it off to Terrell. I, everything you just said, like nail on the head, being the friend who had to teach people dance moves because they just assumed I knew how to Dougie, jerk, all that stuff right off the bat, being oh the one God. who was going, um, taking field trips downtown to go to the um, Institute of Arts and having people on the bus be like, oh God, like, should we wear, like we live in LA, should we wear blue or red? Like, is that going to trigger anybody? What I'm going to get shot while I'm down there, like being the person to be like, my grandmother lives right off the lodge right there. If you come off the first exit, that's where my uncle lives. These are my streets. My dad used to be a bailiff. I literally used to drive down Jefferson for fun. This place isn't scary. The, the issue is, unlike Chicago, who is a tourism area where they make sure their news highlights the good things and makes people feel comfortable to come visit there and walk down the Magnificent Mile. Detroit shows you everything. Their crime rate is no different than any other inner city. Okay, off my soapbox from that point. Um, Hattie, you just hit some nerves. Um, touching back on Chris, you mentioning that episode from Scandal, that I think sums up my experience as an ambassador specifically where her father says, I didn't raise you to be the side hoe, essentially, for the president. I raised you to be better, to be the president, to be the one the White House making decisions, not the one using your white counterpart to make the decisions for you, because that's politically expedient. And I think that hits, to my experience, like nail on head. Um, for me, and if you follow me on social media, I've been having a lot of conversations about how much I assimilated, how much I pushed down parts of my culture because it let me do other things because that's what my predominantly white institutions like. Uh, but for me, I, I was more of a political ambassador than a cultural ambassador, if that makes sense. I was the person who spoke, who didn't speak like um what they expected so i came off more articulated and more educated i was the one that oh if he's there then he'll bring others in and i was the one that was easily easy to tokenize um so in all of my experiences i was the african-american who was giving a speech at a talent show about diversity not because I was overly educated and fit the space, but because they knew they could trust me to say something and do what they needed. Um, my high school just went through a very harsh situation where all of us people of color are coming out and saying like, hey, y'all might've thought we were diverse and we had a lot of space, but y'all put a, the culture of Novi was so ingrained in systemic racism that we had spaces in our high school called Africa, called Europe, called India. When a lot of African-Americans left Novi, Africa turned into Rosa Parks bench because we all like to sit on a bench. Like that, that was where we were from. And I was an ambassador, not in the sense that um, I was the one, even though they still touched my hair. Hell, I had a colleague touch my hair a couple nights ago um, just because it's growing out because I haven't gotten it cut in a while. Um, but I wasn't an ambassador in the sense that I was the one from Africa who could go there. I was an ambassador in the sense that I proved that we were diverse and I've always felt, felt that. Um, Chris, I know you can feel that from Grand Valley. How many times did we end up being on promotional materials 
because we were the African-Americans who were on student Senate. We were the African-Americans who went to um, student life and actually like were there. So in their mind, yeah, let's put them on stuff to show that we are diverse. And for me, that that one is a frustration because I, I hate the fact that I was able to capitalize on it. And I was able to get this makeshift soapbox, not realizing that all it took was one thing to come from that predominantly white institution and knock me off that soapbox and remind me we gave that to you. You didn't make your own voice, essentially. Um, but at the same time, then fighting against that, I mean, like, y'all didn't give me anything. I've been saying the same things the same way. Y'all just thought I was going to be the ambassador for you and give you the, the type of content that you were looking for. But at the end of the day, I'm going to say what's right and what fits my heart. And if y'all don't like that, that's just where it is. Y'all put that mic in front of my face and I'm going to say what comes to my mind. Um, so yeah, that before I go on more of a rant, that's where my mind comes at from the ambassador standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm, I guess I'm last. Um, so Ohio State was definitely an experience. So Ohio State's in Columbus, Ohio. It's pretty much like Ohio State's capital. So you get a different mix of people because now you have people who come from like some of the surrounding cities like Cleveland and Cincinnati and places like that. But you also have, quite frankly, a lot of white people from really small towns where they have just, they've never seen a black person before. So I had to deal with being a lot of people's like, first black friend or like the first black person they knew. And then, I mean, one of you said, one of you mentioned before, like, and if you're from, I mean, I'm from Southfield, right? I don't even like necessarily claim being from the city. Cause I know that people who are from the city, you know, want to hold that. But people be like, I was like, Oh, where's Southfield? I'm like, Oh, it's like a, you know, suburb from, you know, Detroit. They're like, Oh my God, Detroit. Have you been shot before? Have you seen someone get shot? So I've definitely, experienced um those things um i was i have been on some ohio state promotional material i'm pretty sure there's a video that exists somewhere where i'm like high-fiving a white girl on the way to class but um yeah i mean just being an ambassador you just kind of have to deal with like people asking you questions about anything that just relates to race and sometimes it's annoying and stressful because Contrary to popular belief, I don't want to talk about racism or race all the time. So, and it gets exhausting. And um, Hattie, to what you said before about, you know, being in the stuff that isn't like typically black and being judged for that. So I'm a big anime fan, Japanese animation. If you guys can see, I have like, you know, a Naruto poster in the back of my apartment right now. I remember when I would like watch anime or something like in the dorms, we'd be like, Chris, why do you watch, why do you watch Japanese stuff? You're like a, you're a black guy. Why would, why are you into that? You know, it's like people can't fathom that like you can be an individual with like individual interests. And it's like, oh, Chris, you, do you think you're Asian? And I'm like, no, I'm still black. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what I watch, what I eat, where I go, like still black. So I definitely, um, I definitely relate to everything you guys have been talking about because, you know, I think one issue that happens is that a lot of people, when they think black, they think of one thing. They think that 
I don't know, you have to be an athlete or you have to be in a rap or hip hop or you have to speak a certain way. And when you start to show that, no, you're an individual with some of your own different interests, people like sometimes they just they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Because they have been so ingrained and like, all right, all black people fit in this box. If you don't fit in this box and you're not black, I mean, we had this, you know, in claim this, you know, was in jest, but well, three weeks ago, Joe Biden says if you have to, you know, decide between Trump and me, you ain't black. And it's just like, Don't you get know, me started. It, it's, it's, it's a problematic, uh, it's a problem in the black community saying, you know, doing this isn't black, it's white or whatever. But it is a whole different problem entirely for a white person to try and tell a black person what is and is not black. Being black is everything under the sun. Oh, definitely. I won't get you started on, on Joe Biden. Chris, not today. But, uh... No, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to avoid that topic for another show. Um, but all of us have had, white teachers or professors um at some point in our lives has there ever been a time where or if you can you know think of a time where you've had a negative experience just by minding your own business um like for example i had uh in middle school we had snack and so uh it was like let's say snack was at 10 a.m and it was like 9.58, 9.59. We're not doing anything. We're all just sort of sitting there in silence. I see like the clock is about to hit 10. So I walk over to the desk where the snack is and I go to grab one. And my teacher says, Chris, you watch your cotton picking hands. I was just like, watch my what? And I was, you know, it's one of those things that's just like, as an adult, I've been like, okay, we're going to have a problem. But as a kid, you know, you have an authority figure telling you something like that. You're like, how do I even respond to this? And I remember later on that day, or maybe it was the next day, he, you know, apologized. And he's like, that meant something different back in my day. And I'm like, I think it would have meant the same thing. You know, you're only, you're, you're 50, you know, it's, you know, and just having those little things sort of like explained away and then administration never does anything about it. Um, it's sort of, you know, it sort of makes you lose faith in sort of a system uh, that's supposed to quote unquote protect you as a student where, you know, teachers say little off-handed things like that and nothing ever changes about it. Yes. Yes. Also, I forgot we had snacks. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, it's interesting to, to go back on something that all of you have said about the, like, pep talk of you have to work twice as hard to get half. I don't ever think I actually got that talk, right? But I've always felt that way, and I've always known it. And so I remember fancy school, we have smart boards, like high technology. We were in, like, library or media tech, whatever you want to call it. And the media tech lady was like, okay, for today's session, I'm going to show you how to do whatever, right? So we also had, we were given like our first big project in like, what is this, fifth grade? 
something like that. And, or no, maybe seven, whatever. Middle school. And I like committed myself to like, going all out for this project. And so I, it was like dream big, dare to fail. You had to pick somebody to be. Don't judge me on who I picked. I'll tell you in a second. And uh, you had to give a presentation on how they like either dream big and how they dreamt big and dared to fail and like either failed or succeeded. And so I chose Walt Disney. I know we're not going to go there. Um, but I chose Walt Disney and I went to the librarian and I was like, you know, I really want to create this uh, interactive presentation where the board will talk to me and we'll have like this dialogue to present their life nobody else was doing this back in whatever grade we were in so she like taught me how to do it on the smart board using like basically clear click buttons blah 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 I gave my presentation it went really well and all of a sudden my teacher looks at me and she goes who did your project for you and I these things just didn't register. And I was like, I did it. And she goes, well, who helped you? And I was thinking, I helped myself. And she's like, well, uh, then show the class how, how you did that. I did not understand what was going on, but that was definitely one of the, um, most salient experiences with right like a white teacher honestly questioning my integrity and yeah my integrity uh, as a student because of my blackness um and like I remember going home and telling my mom that story and she was like how did you know what happened and I was like well she just didn't think I did it right like she thought I cheated I don't know and she's like oh no, no no and really broke it down for me to be able to parse out why and to also be able to better defend myself in the future and to know that I have the look for my mother authority to push back and also question right like I don't have to explain myself to you because you're wielding your power inappropriately upon a black student because of your honestly racism but I guess politically correct way to say it is implicit biases um but yeah that's i'll just leave it at that yeah i um <laughs> so very similar to you Hattie. there's a lot of things that you don't really realize until you reflect on it or hear somebody else mention it where you're like yep experience that too um but one instance that well two instances that stand out in my mind um, middle school was rough for me just as an individual a lot of growing a lot of figuring stuff out um, but I don't know if y'all at Cranbrook and elsewhere had like um, what do we call them late nights or something along those lines where you like had a little party thing at the end of the school day nobody was weird I don't know um, but we did this in middle school and they had buses that would take you home they changed the bus route so that you knew where to get off. Um, and I still to this day remember I we were all getting on the bus and I was like, hey, I've never taken the bus after this before. What stop is this place? And the woman told me, oh, you'd be here and there. Da, 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 da. Um, so me and my friends are goofing off in the back doing whatever. All of us are making some noise. And she's like, everyone sit down, shut up. 
I'm like, all right, bet. I sit down. Someone else starts yelling. People start doing their own thing again. And she says it again. And we all sit down. So we're going down the route. And she said that we were going to go a certain way. And that was going to be my exit. But she turns off. So I stood up and I was like, wait, aren't you supposed to go that way? Because like this, like that's where I'm supposed to get off. She's like, didn't I tell you to sit down and not talk? I went, but I'm just trying to figure out how to get off. So she pulls the bus over in the middle of the street and comes over and is like, I want your name and all this. And I give her my name and my last name is Couch. Um, so already coming off like this. Other friends gave their name because she wanted to put them in the report too. But she stopped on me and told me, you're lying to me. That can't be your real name. And we sat on the side of the road for 15 minutes of her telling me that that wasn't my name. It took four of my white friends to say, no, his name is truly Terrell, Terrell Couch. And she's like, okay, fine. She opened up the door and kicked me out on the side of the road. And I walked home from there. I get a note from my principal telling me that for my insubordinate behavior, I was no longer allowed to ride the bus. And my dad came in and we had a whole conference call with this woman and she's like, well, I just didn't think he was giving me the real, his real name. I don't know why we're having this situation. Um, but he was, he was being disrespectful to me. And I went, no, I was not being disrespectful to you. You asked me my name. I told you what my name was. The reason you called me disrespectful is because you lied to me from jump and told me I was getting off at this one stop. And that's not where it turned out. Um, and that was the, my dad, he worked at the plant. He was not in the mood. So I was just happy that he didn't like go off on them if I'm being completely honest. But after he had a conversation, he's like, you realize what happened there? Like, you're the only person of the five names that she took down that was kicked off the bus for the rest of the school year. That there is a reason behind that. And me with my ignorant self was like, you're just overthinking it. Like maybe I was just too rude. I'll just be better next time. Cause I always thinking like, how can you be better? So then that semester goes on um, and me and an, another friend playing around with one of our other um, individuals and um, we hit her calculator and I gave it to this friend. I was like, go hide it, do whatever. He put it somewhere and then forgot where it was or someone else took it, I think is what happened. We couldn't find her calculator. So we told our teacher like, hey, we were playing around. We can't find her calculator. It's whatever. She sent us all to the principal's office. Principal's office wrote it up, called our parents in, all of this jazz. The individual who calculated was lost was actually African-American. Um, and years later, I found out from both of them that they were going to suspend me on the spot for her calculator being lost. Um, and it took her grandmother saying, like, it ain't that serious. Just pay us back for the calculator. It's going to be whatever. And it was another conversation that my dad had of, See, you, you thought that they cared about you. You thought that you were in this space where you could do whatever you wanted, just like your other friends, but they just needed that one time and they were going to ruin the rest of your life. They, I said that we were going to pay them back for the calculator. I said that we were going to ground you and that wasn't enough for them. They were ready to suspend you on the spot, no questions asked, and you just were going to have to deal with it. Um, and I think it was in those moments that I realized everything that we talk about how easy it is for an African-American, any gender to do everything that they can think of is right to make one mistake. And that just completely erases all the work they did beforehand. Um, just hits to the experience that I've had. Yeah.
So I had this one teacher, and I, to this day, I remember this teacher. I had her twice. I had her in middle school for chemistry and in high school for advanced, what was it? It wasn't algebra. What, come, what comes after algebra but before trig? Uh, any, I'm trying to think. It's before trig, but it's after algebra. I, I don't know. Um, but uh, in it was the seventh grade. I was an all A and B student. I was in like all advanced classes. Like I didn't know what a C was. In fact, if I got if I came home with a C, I knew it was coming was meeting with a belt. You know, so um, like, I didn't I didn't believe in C's. Like I always like worked hard, and I had this one class. It was chemistry, and I remember I would study, and. Uh, take the test or whatever. She'd give me a score. Okay. Never really, like, thought to, like, go over the test. It's like, I, it wasn't a good grade, but it wasn't, like, terrible. It was around, like, I want to say, like, 78. So I'm like, whatever. I got to work harder. And so, thank thankfully, um, I talked to my mom about it. Like, I was straightforward. I'm like, hey, I'm struggling with this for whatever reason. Like, let's go over this. And, like, she worked with me. Like, that is my actual saving grace to this story, is that I went over this stuff with my mom. And so, um, Anyway, like, I don't know if you guys had them, but we had parent-teacher conferences. And so uh, Chris knows, especially, like, when it came to my parents and parent-teacher conferences, they weren't missing. So I always made sure, like, my grades were, like, on point. So the week before, I would ask every teacher, what is my grade? So my parents don't have any surprises when they go in here so I can explain to them where I'm at. Every professor would give them to me except for her. She wouldn't tell me what my grade was, any of it. And so um, I asked one of my friends, like, hey, like, did you get your grade? Oh, yeah, I have this grade. I'm like, that's interesting. Like, why don't, why didn't she give it to me? But I didn't think twice about it. So thankfully, like, literally, like, uh, so let's say parent-teacher conferences were on Wednesday. On Tuesday, um, no, sorry, Thursday, we got back um, a text. So my mom goes into this parent-teacher conference. And um, I wasn't there. I'm at home. My mom comes back. And she's livid. She's like, I don't know what it is about that, that I want to say the teacher's name, but something doesn't fit right about it. I just think it's very interesting how every, all your teachers say how like you're such a good student. You sit down and are quiet and stuff like that. But this one teacher, she just she thinks you have a learning disability and you can't do this and you can't do that. And da 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 da. And she was like the only like I, I really sat there and like for a second I had to think like is my child dumb or not? And then I realized that. And she's talking about this. This is the same stuff you and I went over. So the next time you get an exam back, you find somebody else that had a better score than you and you go over it. And I was like, okay. So the very next day we actually got a test back. I got a 74 on it. My friend got an 86. I was like, hey man, you mind if I see your test? Like for some reason I'm not picking it up. I take our score, I take our test side by side. Number one, I got wrong. Number one, he got right. Just as an example, I don't remember the exact numbers. We had the exact same answer. Mine was wrong. His was right. His was right. I'm like, okay, maybe she overlooked this. And I keep looking, and I find another one. I'm like, okay, he had one number. I had the exact same number. He had it right. I had it wrong. I'm like, all right, something's not right here. So I go up to him like, hey, um, I see this is wrong. Why is this wrong? Oh, this is wrong. But my friend got the exact same answer, and you marked his right. No, I didn't. I'm like, all right, well, here's this test. Well, you're not supposed to be sharing tests, like all right, but like, can you explain to me why I got this wrong and this one got it right? Well, let me look at it. She quickly looks at it. You can explain your answer properly. 
what do you mean I didn't explain my answer properly? The answer is clearly the same number. Like, it's chemistry. I don't have to explain the answer. Like, you don't say explain the answer. You say, what is the answer? I gave you the answer, the same thing. Well, you're supposed to explain your answer and da-da-da-da. I go back to my mom that day. I'm like, hey, like, I have, this is what I got. This is what this person got. We have the exact same number. Like, I promise you, I'm not lying to you. You can sit down and break it down. I'll show you how to do the thing. And so, and I told her, I talked to the teacher about it and she's not boosting my grade, like my grades in 74. She was like, you know what? I knew that, I knew that lady was racist from the moment I met her. She said, whenever you get her for everything you do on, on your exams, you're not, we're not going to fight this, but you're going to do it. You're going to make sure it is perfect to the T. You explain everything. You explain it like you are explaining it to a fourth grader. If you have to, uh, what is it, um, telephonically spell out every single word do it and make sure that you get that right and so i was like okay and she was like just like honestly there's not a lot we can do about this just you're gonna have to eat it like don't be upset i know you know this stuff like all this stuff you are a straight a person do not let this get you down i ended up finishing the class with like a 78 but <laughs> everything i did i had to write it out telephonically like from point A to B to Z, all the way down the list, word for word and all that stuff. And like, I had to keep that in mind. So then I ended up getting her back. Geometry, that's what it was, geometry, advanced geometry. I had her first semester of advanced geometry. It was two semesters at my school. Same thing, but I had to, I made sure I showed all my work. I tapped out with the 80. Next semester, I had advanced geometry two with a different teacher. And my mom like, made it a point to uh, show the principal. She was like, I just think it's real funny how my son gets 80 in geom uh, geometry one, but he gets a 95 in geometry two, and he has a different teacher. Like, you guys really need to check that teacher. Um, so I don't really know, like, what really happened to her beyond that. Like, I kind of, I learned really early and really young. Like, you have to pick and choose your battles, and certain things you just have to brush off and just not let it like affect as we would say now affect your energy that negative energy like keep it in the past just keep it in your win and just use it as motivation again you have to be twice as good just to get half as much and that's literally what it was for me i'll never forget that teacher to this day if i saw her, i would i'd probably mean mugging to be honest but no that that really like hurt like emotionally but you can't let it show and i mean just again you have to eat it i'm very thankful like my mom was on my side um and it just like hit me like i should just talk to my mom about it before the uh, parent teacher conference parent teacher conferences i wanted to do so uh, ultimately like yeah Sorry, I kind of like got a little away with the uh, parent teacher conference thing, but no, like that, that was my biz biggest experience when it came to an educator. Um, it's, it's a rough time, you know. Um, have any of you guys? We'll just do a poll. Has anybody? Have any of you guys ever been told that you were one of the good ones? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> your or or your credit to your race. I think that's one for the you know the sixty and up age uh, when we were growing yep. up. 
Oh, Chris, you're so educated. You speak so well. Yeah. You're so articulate. <laughs> yeah, that's the other one. The coded language. Um, For sure. I remember one time in middle school. So most of the kids that came after sixth grade sort of like formed their own friend group. And as ours developed, it was mostly pretty much all the kids of color minus like two or three that had gotten into some of the other friend groups. And so we were the, the reject group. So we were, you know, chilling, having, you know, we would sit together at lunch and hang out together, everything like that. And we got called out during lunch by all the teachers, like all the teachers were there and they brought us inside like the common area. And they're just like, Hey, so we've gotten reports that you guys are being a click and you guys are being exclusive of other people we're all looking at each other like we all got excluded that's why we sit together uh and so the head teacher who's the same teacher just told me watch uh my cotton picking hands he's going down the line and he's just like you know looking at a few of these like that's not what a good christian would do you know that's not what a good jewish person would do and that's not what a good and he looks at uh my friend nihal who's indian he's like uh that's not what a good indian person would do and he's like i'm hindu by the way um and so it was just very interesting how they you know picked out all like 90 percent of the kids of color at the school and said you guys are being a clique and not being exclusive mind you a couple weeks prior uh one of my friends decided to celebrate his african heritage and wear a kufi to celebrate kwanzaa and these two white kids took it off tossed it around playing keep away and then threw it in the trash they didn't get talked to at all and so it's just things like that where you're just sort of like what what is the point of even reporting anything you know if you don't you don't do anything wrong you still do nothing wrong you do something wrong you get hit with the harshest punishment while you watch you know your white uh, uh, fellow students get away with murder And so transitioning to that, so uh, we've talked about um, having interactions with your uh, white fellow students about, you know, like um, dealing with touching your hair or asking you all these other questions about. I've got a good story. Oh, oh. All right, go ahead. Well, you can you can finish your so thought. I didn't mean to cut you off. You can finish your thought. Sorry. Okay. What have or talk about some times where you have interacted with your white friends and either they've witnessed racism that uh, you've experienced while they were there or where they have done um, ignorant or racist things towards you and how you dealt with that. All right. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, so when I was in college, um, I was in the car with um, one of my white friends. We were going to go get something to eat. I think we we're going to Taco Bell or something like that. And I mean, at the time, I thought he was a pretty cool guy, you know, sort of type of deal. We played Super Smash Brothers. We, you know, went to parties and stuff and hung out. And I generally thought that he, you know, was a was a decent dude, you know? Um, and... 
as we're going to Taco Bell, he's driving, I'm in the passenger seat, and I don't know if we were at like a crosswalk or if it was the middle of the street, but as we're in the car, a black guy's on a bike and he just decides to go across the street in front of us. So my friend, you know, has to hit the brake and stop. And after he slams the brake and stops, he goes, fucking nigger, while I'm in the passenger seat. And um, yeah, needless to say, I don't talk to him anymore. I mean, and there was a quote that was going around on social media that said, just because someone likes you doesn't mean they like black people. And that was a perfect example of that situation where you can interact with somebody, you guys can be cool, you guys can be friends and hang out, etc. But they can still be honest to goodness like racist. And that, you know, the fact that that's the first thing he said when, you know, a black guy did something to him or whatever, that has to be in you. Like that, that's on the surface, you know? It's barely below the surface in order for something like that to happen. And that was, I mean, that was definitely like a, just a culture shock moment for me because that's not something that had ever really happened to me before. And yeah, I mean, perfect, perfect example of what Chris was asking. I mean, it was just, it was just racist and it was terrible and it sucks. And I'll never, I'll never forget that moment in my entire life. I guess I can bring my fraternity experience in on this one. Um, so I was fortunate to be president of my fraternity and that in itself set a chasm of situations. But for a long period of time, I was very much compared to Barack Obama. Um, one, because I was the first black president of my chapter, but two, because there weren't a whole lot of black presidents in my fraternity at large. Um, and people in my chapter openly made jokes about right after I won the election, should I be able to go outside because I might get assassinated? Like openly made that joke in front of all the brothers. Um, I, and to my own point, I didn't say anything. I just kind of was like, oh, yep, here we are. <laughs> um, but one moment that stands out that, two moments that stand out, one that shows how inherently they could have cared less about race, um, but would fight about other things. Partway through my term, um, I had to make a decision that irritated some individuals and one brother stood up to some effect. I don't know what conversation we were having. He essentially told me that I didn't get to feel my blackness because I was president of the chapter. I had privilege. I was able to lead our organization. I was being put on pictures for the university. I didn't get to own any type of oppression or understanding what that might mean but he could understand it because his father had um, been brought up on charges of something um, and had been in prison. So like he understood oppression, but I couldn't. About two weeks later, my chapter went into a very aggressive conversation centered around sexuality as that same member um, decided he didn't want to allow a homosexual member in our chapter. And in that moment, my organization took a stand. 
they split down the middle, but they took a stand of, no, if this is where we're going to be, we're going to fight and we're going to make sure that we are not seen as the anti-gay fraternity. But no one gave any cares uh, two weeks ago when I was having an all-out argument about why I deserve to feel myself and understand what it meant, whether I had privilege or not, that I was black. Um, and very similar to what you mentioned, Chris, there are some brothers in my organization that I do not talk to because of those moments. I, um, I'm trying to think, I know there were moments, I know there were a lot of moments, especially in high school where, right, like people are really coming into this type of mentality and their beliefs. And there was <clears throat> the, uh, Obama election, right. was when we were, or like his first election is around the time we were in high school. And there were a lot of different comments that were made um but I'm really having a hard time finding one that like stands out or that I like vividly remember selective memory serves me well um I yikes okay I remember I was at dinner at a friend's house once and uh we were just having like casual conversation randomly and out of the blue, like, I think we were talking about, gosh, maybe, I don't know, just something very lighthearted. Uh, could have been a book. I don't really recall. But out of nowhere, the mom asked me, you know, oh, well, maybe you can come back and, like, teach us how to make fried chicken. Uh, I don't know how to make fried chicken. <laughs> right? Like, I, I'm a great cook, super great baker. But that definitely took me aback because I knew that was ingrained in ignorance and racism um, and that she was making that assumption because I was black. Uh, like, the only things you were missing were watermelon and Kool-Aid, sis, uh, to really just complete this trifecta of how you see me. And I remember my friend, oh gosh, my friend like froze and the entire table froze like two sisters and then dad and everyone's just kind of looking at me like what you going to do and I'm sitting here like yeah what am I going to do um and I should really like politely be like actually no like I don't know how um and just kind of like redirecting the conversation um because unlike you know 2020 me where I would easily make someone feel uncomfortable and have to acknowledge and really go through that whole oh I'm so sorry process I was just like oh like you know I don't but okay moving on and wanted to spare her that uncomfort that she imposed upon me as a dinner guest um and my friend uh you know like at the end like apologized but that's one of the moments of just having a race experience with someone in like a family that I was close to um, yeah. I'm stuck between two stories that I want to tell 
one Terrell was there for, and the other one, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I think I'll go with the one Terrell was there for. So. who was uh, ultra-conservative. This person was not my friend. Um, but they posed a bill that or a resolution that would show student support for guns on campus. And I remember that um, certain people went up during student comment and they spoke about their Black experience and how having students walking around with a gun while already stereotyping and, you know, treating black students differently would lead to more disastrous results. And this senator would uh, stood up or spoke in response and said, well, my black friend doesn't experience these types of, you know, racist, uh, moments or you know they're doing just fine here they're enjoying their experience so I don't know what you're talking about um, and there were other people there that you could tell that they were just like while they didn't agree with the resolution they're just like yeah my one black princess this is fine so this is this is you know that argument holds weight um, and having to have those conversations uh, which leads into the other one where I had a heated debate argument with my friend on the way to Meyer about cultural appropriation uh, regarding the Kardashians and the Jenners and how they appropriate black culture and then get, then they make, you know, millions and millions of dollars off of it while black people will try to do those same things and it's seen as ghetto or hood or ratchet or whatever. And this person would just not understand what the difference was and why cultural appropriation is an issue. She was just like, well, they should take it as a compliment, like that they are, you know, emulating their style. And I'm like, they're not emulating, they're stealing and they're making money off of it. Wait, mine got really choppy. So, Chris, did you finish? I don't want to cut you off. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um, so, I have two stories, but um, one's like kind of shorter than the other, but um, both happened in the eighth grade. Um, the bigger one, I think, Chris, you know this story, but eighth grade, we were on a basketball team. Uh, school basketball team at that and I remember one practice we go down in the locker room afterwards coach isn't in the room yet and this kid I've known like we went to school together since sixth grade <laughs> um, we played on the same team in sixth grade didn't play together on seventh grade um, and then eighth grade played together like I've talked to his grandparents because he lives with his grandparents um, I think I met his mom once or whatever like they talk to my parents all the time, like would make compliments here and there, et cetera. And this one particular practice, it was in December. I don't remember what we got into an argument about. Uh, I don't. 
but I remember he got so mad and um, I'm gonna keep it um, PG because I'm, I'm at my girlfriend's house so I don't wanna be disrespectful. But uh, in the eighth grade, we got into an argument and he turned around and said, you effing N-word, how dare you? And thankfully we were on two separate ends of like the locker room. And all I remember is um, one of our teammates grabbed me and was like, don't do it. Like, don't do it. And everyone just got quiet. And I'm pissed. Like, I'm, like, I'm fists are bald and everything. And in my head, all I want to do is swing. And it, one kid, like, literally, like, who was next to me, I don't even think we were really that close. <laughs> but he just grabbed me. He was like, don't do it. It's not worth it. Like, please don't do it. Like, and he took me and pulled me to the other room. And I just started thinking, like, if I would have swung, what would have actually happened? Like, what would have been worse, me or him? And I kind of remember, like, my mom always telling me, like, to hold my anger and stuff like that. Like, like eat it. Like, you can brush it off. Like, take it on the chin and keep it pushing. And, like, um, honestly, I had never thought about it until I got older, like, how everyone else reacted. Like, no one, like, really said anything except for, like, one person. But the overall outcome was two weeks later, our coach took us on a uh, on a walk down the hallway to talk about how wrong what he said was. The kid stayed on the team. He didn't miss any games, didn't miss a practice. Um, he didn't get suspended from school. The principal didn't get involved. And, like, for me, I'm, like, really, like, a nonchalant person. Like, uh, I take a lot of things on the chin. But, like, I kind of was, like, sitting there, like, if I would have swung, I would have been suspended. But this guy can flat out say probably the most, one of the most racist things you can say to somebody, and he gets to walk free as if nothing ever happened. Like, the only people that don't know about it are my teammates and my coach. And, like, I mean, again, I never, like, really, like, thought about, like, how everyone else reacted until I got older. But it was just like, man, like, who in that room actually really had my back? You know, like, obviously that one kid did, but, like, did he have my back or was he just trying to stop, like, protect his name because of the basketball team or protect the other kid because they were friends to, together? Like, what was actually, like, his intention? Because no one ever, like, really, like, pulled me aside, like, hey, how are you? Are you okay? Like, I'm sorry he said that. Like, I never got an apology from anything. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, he apologized after we went on, like, a long walk or whatever. But, like it shouldn't take a long walk like like for you to think that for you to like say that at such a young age one you've heard it two like clearly somebody in your family feels that type of way you know like you don't just come up with those wordings out of nowhere um and then the second story this one's really short eighth grade this this girl um i had a crush on or whatever ever is going up so you can't go anywhere but like that was the thing you asked somebody out um this is girl she was in the play i did stage hands just because of my friends or whatever and like after her play like i asked her out and she was excited she was like yes uh, yes da -da -da -da, yada yada so i'm geeked like i tell my uh at the time i told my friend um we were really really close and like he was like really happy for me and all this stuff um her friend already knew like and all that stuff the next day, like, it was the first time I'd see her since we're going out or whatever. And she kept avoiding me. So I'm like, all right, like, what's going on? 
So I have my friend talk to her friend, and he comes back to me. He's like, dude, like, I don't want to tell you this. This is, like, really jacked up. I'm so sorry for this. Like, I don't know how you're going to take this, but um, basically the girl went home and told her parents that she was, quote, unquote, dating me, and her parents said, how dare you? You can never date a black person. And I heard that firsthand from him, and I was just like, dang. And he was like, look, like, um, you want to talk about it? We can talk about it. Like, he was probably like, like, this was like really like my boy. Like, and he like showed it in this moment because like, I knew he not, he couldn't understand like what I was going through. But like to hear that, you know, like it hits you. So, uh, I mean, I know the question is not about like how like the actual racism like affected us, but like how it, like you got to see someone, your uh, like counterparts react seeing him react like he was hurt for me like and i could tell and both of us kind of like cut them off to an extent of what you can cut somebody off in in the eighth grade i mean what can you really do like delete their number you know but like he stopped talking to her like i stopped talking to her and like while like we both kind of associated with her friend like it was more so like from i did it from a distance it was more so like a high and by kind of thing whereas the other girls like i i really can't like like, I know it's not your fault, but, I mean, I can't surround myself with that. So, yeah, those are, like, my two stories. All right, Chris here. Um, we hope you enjoy part one of this special podcast. Um, part two will be up soon. Um, go ahead and check that out. We wanted to break it up into two parts just because this video went, I mean, this podcast went, like, two hours and we just kind of thought it'd be a better idea to break it up give everybody a break so um yeah check back um right where you found this episode for part two thanks